Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. Hank Vogler, every Monday checking in from White Pine County, Nevada. Is the shearing done? Uh, We're getting done today. Pretty close. Uh, there's no way that you're helping because with the plethora of pictures you're sending me, you're just the guy off on the distance capturing a sea of sheep. Well, I'm in pretty tough shape. I hate to tell you, but I am. What do you mean? What do you mean you're in tough shape? Well, well, I went to Elko the other day, and and uh, after I got doing my business, I, I went into a cowboy bar and I got two black eyes, lost four teeth, got six <laughs> broke ribs. All I did was say, I'll buy a round for the house. Everybody can have a Bud Light, and they beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Chase Sauter thinks that I've been just leading you on, saying that I'm going to get out there this spring. He doesn't think I'm going to show up. So just as a result of you being laid up, I'm just going to come next weekend and help you out with chores. Oh, goody. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I, I know it's not worth talking about, but it certainly renewed my faith in the people of America not being off the meter to the left and crazy that people actually care about things. And people, you know, I mean, I could see some craft beer, or or some uh, uh, wine that that uh, has a strange name would appeal to such folks, but Bud Light and the Clydesdales. I mean, we're talking about some some pretty uh, a traditional uh, issue. Not not to let's see how far we can push it to the left to appease what one half of one percent of the population or, or less. So did you see the marketing manager who had been brought in on behalf of Bud Light, uh, like a 30-something-year-old female, and how she explained why she made the decision she made? I didn't see her. I just heard the, the, uh, her, her reasoning that she was trying to be inclusive, and that's fine. You know, we fought several wars in this country, uh, giving everybody the right to be stupid if they want you know uh, or anything else that they want this uh, you know of by for the people you know pursuit of happiness all of those things but uh you know somebody has got to tell somebody else that not everybody thinks the way they do and that that is america and and uh to cater that we're catering to all these little tiny minuscule minorities where the the majority of people don't believe that way. Okay. And, and, uh, well, all that is right, but I watched your interview and I think it's, it's telling not only for this situation and people have lost sight of this. So I just want to just very quickly walk through this. Anheuser-Busch was consumed by InBev from the Netherlands. No, that's not right. Denmark, uh, Several years ago, 
And then 3G Capital comes in and consumes them. 3G Capital controls 33%. 33% of global beer sales is all under the umbrella of Anheuser-Busch. And on the only other big beer company in the, in the country and is uh, Molson Coors, which now controls about, I think it's 6%. So those are the only two beer companies aside from the craft beer companies in the United States. And this 30-something-year-old woman, I watched her and I was like, this is the issue. This is the issue with our elected officials. This is the issue with our school boards. This is the issue with the county commissioners, including White Pine County, is that they don't get it. She said, she said that Bud Light was catering to the older male and we needed to diversify. And you, to your word, you said inclusive. We need to be more inclusive. She completely showed ignorance on who the Bush Light and Bud Light drinkers are. The Bush and Bud Light drinkers are, are men who work, want to go work and do their job and then go do something with their family and enjoy a Bud Light. That's who the Bud Light drinkers are. She had no clue to that. And I think it was a yeah. great example yeah. <laughs> to, to give a wake-up call. Because there's, I mean, I'm not telling you that they're going to go away, but they certainly had a wake-up call. Oh, boy. And Ninbev, I think... Uh, uh... I made the joke when they switched over, if you'll look back through the archives, that uh, remember they were going to get rid of the Clydesdales? Yep. Right. And I said, well, of course, because they're from Belgium, they're going to get Belgians. There you go, Belgium. That's the country I was trying to think of. Yeah. But, but you know what else happened within the last 30 days at Embed, right? No, and I that, do not. Yeah, well, an animal rights organization who I do not name on this program actually purchased stock within MBEV and said they were going to target the Clydesdales because they're going to end this cruel and unusual treatment to these horses. That happened 30 days before the transvestite shows up on their bear can. <laughs> Trent, if you were a horse, would you rather be one of these <laughs> Mustangs out here starving to death or a Clydesdale? I mean, they have they, they're treated better than you apartment. and I will ever be treated. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, holy Michael Andy. <laughs> you know. Yes. There were four of them standing in the road yesterday morning when I took my trailer over. Budweiser Clydesdale? The, no. <laughs> the other end. The other end of the spectrum. And. They could not hardly even get out of the road. I had to stop for this one black one to to, to have a, you know a chance to get away. I'm almost ran Hank, over him. You're, you're wasting good stuff. Terrible. This needs to occur when I get there next week. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you better hurry. They might not be alive next week. <laughs> oh, that's not funny. That is not funny, but true. Uh, I have to say that I've never actually taking the time to say, if I were a horse, what kind of a horse would I want to be? I, until now, you know, until you brought it up, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> well, it's the same way. We're supposed to pay reparation to a certain segment of our society. 69% of the Africans went to Brazil. Others went to other countries, and yes, they were slaves. By the way, uh, I believe Moses parted the Red Sea and took 
the Jewish folks out of Egypt because they were slaves there. So it's not, it was not a new issue. And I believe the United States was one of the first countries to outlaw slavery. Uh, I think a couple others, maybe France or England had no England, not probably not because they were in the slave trade. So Africans caught Africans, took Africans to sell in the open market, the Muslim uh, Arabs bought them, sold them to the English and hauled them to America. So the ship's captain comes out on the deck. And yes, they had diseases once in a while. And yes, some of them died. Uh, but that was not the intent. The intent was to sell them to people in America, people in South America, people in other countries. So the captain comes out on the deck and says, Jimmy Jack Johnson, uh, you're going to Jamaica, uh, Trent Luce, you're going to Brazil to uh, harvest sugar cane, uh, Hank Vogler, uh, you're going to Alabama. Now, which one of those folks do you think hit the home run? Why are you going to Alabama? <laughs> yeah. Well, because I know a guy there. Eddie's there. I can visit with him. I can pick his cotton or something. I mean, it, they when you twist, twist history enough, you can make it say anything you want. And it's ridiculous. Uh, uh, my people were in North Carolina, helped in the American Revolution. Uh, they were loaded up or pushed up, uh, walked to Oklahoma where they, folks said, well, you'd be a lot happier there. Uh, you know, even though you helped an American revolution and you had farms and, and plantations and all kinds of stuff. Oh, and by the way, they owned slaves. I, 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 Indians I, had slaves. I got to go to a break. But before I do, I got to just do this little disclaimer because you said that, uh, the UK outlawed slavery before the United States. That's actually not true. The UK made it illegal in 1834. So those slave ships owned by the British okay. were hauling them to the United States because they could not haul them to the UK. We'll be back. We'll have more Hank Bogart roll out after this. How Right off the bat today, let's talk about Protect the Harvest. And when you talk about Protect the Harvest, you're talking about a free and fed America because that's what government does to restrict the power and the free enterprise of individuals, make it tougher to access food. When you have a free and fed America, you have innovation. You have people trying to find a better way for not only themselves but the next generation. Protect the Harvest is all about empowering you to protect the next generation at protecttheharvest.com. Welcome back. Roll route. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I had to get out of there, and that took longer. Yeah. They couldn't sell their slaves in in Britain, so the slave ships would buy them in Africa and sell them, bring them to the U.S. 1834 is when it became illegal to yes. own, sell, or possess a slave in Britain. I I knew it was around the same, you know, time and maybe France, but <clears throat> we were one of the first groups to outlaw slavery. But yeah. most of the slaves that came to America went to South America. You don't see Brazil uh, paying reparation to the folks that they hauled there. So, again, I mean, and then what about the, my family when they moved them, took their land away from them, sent them to Oklahoma, and, and uh, uh, even 
gave them no choice for tribal rights because they didn't belong to the tribes, the, the right tribes. And they left Oklahoma when it became a state and went to a place called Chickasaw Flats in eastern Washington, out of Canal, Washington, next to the Vogler Elevator, where my immigrant German people came and uh, uh, raised grain. So, And they were very successful people. They're not the stereotype. You know, we have all the Indians in the United States wearing these giant war bonnets and, and uh, uh, riding horses like a cavalry. Well, some of the tribes in Nevada, when they saw a horse, they ran from it. They didn't know what they were. Others ate them. I mean, there, there was all sorts of varieties here. And Native American Indians had slaves also. They had a slave trade that they, they tribes that they had conquered. And uh, <clears throat> hauled obsidian from uh, Eastern Oregon, Glass Butte, kept, kept a, almost an armed guard there along the Columbia River where the salmon came up the falls. That particular tribe held other people at bay to trade with them rather than let them fish. <clears throat> I mean, uh, it's a wonder anybody can figure out what history was all about because they keep changing it to fit their narrative. Yeah, you know, it was not a great time in uh, North American history to be a woman in the United States, pre-United States to be a woman in those warring tribe eras because those slaves you talk about were more often than not women from some tribe yep. they conquered or stole a woman. Yep. Sex and, slave and, or, uh, or a buffalo tanning slave or, or whatever tasks needed to happen. The warring men were out hunting and fighting while the women were home doing the work. Hom Sam was a shaman. He used to work for my grandma. <laughs> And Hom was a shaman for the tribe in McDermott. Paiute, well, and, and look what the Americans did there. They put the Shoshones and the Paiutes on the same uh, reservation that were blood enemies, thinking, well, we'll get rid of all of them because they'll kill each other. And for a long time they did. But anyhow, Hom used to say, man needs three women, one for bedroom, one for kitchen, one to chew hides. <laughs> <laughs> but even in this country, the old shirt arrowheads that you see are pretty primitive, <clears throat> but others made of obsidian, and there's no obsidian around here that I know of, you know had to have been traded or it was on the trade routes because different tribes would go to the Salt Lake area and get salt and trade obsidian or other goods uh or whatever, for salt to haul back to where they didn't have salt as readily available. So there was lots of trade route. There was lots of stuff going on here. But the the so-called picture of this giant happy family all beating on the same drum is our crock. Yeah. There were even tribes that they found were cannibals. I mean, there, there's a history here for the 10,000 years before they come walking across the land bridge. And by the way, Everybody wants to point to the land bridge. My understanding of the glacier periods of the cold continent, the ocean was 600 feet lower. Well, if the ocean was 600 feet lower, there could have been tribes migrating from mountaintop to mountaintop or island to island and, and had access to the new world or, or the old world that broke away from Pangaea 
all that stuff. So that, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, if you, nobody will contest you, you can write history just about any way you want. History is though, is according to those who write it. Somebody said that. Yes. Uh, by the way, since you asked me, I've been thinking about it in deep thought and I have decided that if I were a horse, I would not want to be a Budweiser Clydesdale because even though they're treated well, the bronc, the stud bronc at the rodeo works eight seconds a week and the rest of the time spends eating and uh, procreating. Well, I'm going to have to think about that one. I'm I'm thinking about uh, every once in a while when I rode a bronc horse long enough to get a spur in him. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd like that. <laughs> it's, it's only eight, eight, seconds eight seconds a week. A week is appealing. <laughs> yeah, eight, okay, so that's appealing. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll have to I'll have to think about. It. I'll get back to you with it. I'll circle back <laughs> with that one. <laughs> I'm just saying you can endure eight seconds a week for the rest of the week. I'm, it's that's a no brainer. As long as the kid's polishing his spurs and not sticking them into me, I'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> you got spurs in you much longer than eight seconds every week, let me tell you right now. And they're rusty spurs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is there a commissioner meeting Tuesday I can attend? No, I don't. Uh, we just had it last Wednesday. Oh, it's on Wednesday? So, I won't be there Wednesday. Yes. All right. Uh, so just trying to get my itinerary put together. That's a joke. But if you ever do attend a, a county commission meeting, don't stand up and say, I know Hank Vogler, or they'll do the same thing to you as they did to me in that honky tonk bar. <laughs> <laughs> no. Which one were you in, by the way, in Elko when all this went down? <laughs> the horseshoe. The horseshoe. It's downtown. I, I, I was in the horseshoe and, uh, uh, Saturday before Father's Day a year ago, before last time I saw you. Okay, that's <laughs> that's the hangout. You, uh, I guess you, you actually went to a meeting last week. Was it productive? Was it in Winnemucca? Yeah, we we have the Nevada Rangeland Resource Commission, and different people come to us for projects promoting agriculture, promoting rangeland ranching, and uh, things like that. It's been set up for several years. Uh, Bert Paris and I have been on it since the beginning. We're kind of the old timers. And uh, uh, Rachel's uh, our secretary, and she does a great job. So uh, we, what we do is we assess ourselves 10 cents per AUM we use on the government and for the Forest Service for BLM. <clears throat> and then take that money, which is a pretty good little chunk of change, over $100,000. And different people come to us with projects and, and we funded Dennis Golden uh, several very well done documentaries about wild horses, about sage grouse, about all kinds of things that go on on actually the truth of what goes on on the western ranges. And it's a it was sponsored years and years ago by Dean Rhodes. And then there's uh, one person from each grazing board and the Farm Bureau and the wool growers and the cattlemen's. 
all have seats on that board. And everything always goes in complete harmony and sit around a circle and sing Kumbaya. Yeah, with uh, face masks and boxing gloves on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had one of those myself on Friday. It's called the Racing and Gaming Commission of Nebraska. Ah, and we had a there couple, you go. We had a couple blows. We, we get along pretty good because everybody is pretty dedicated to the fact. I mean, we're even able or supposed to if we want we can uh assess ourselves uh you know per diem and all those things and i don't know anybody in the whole time that's ever even asked for per diem the only thing is the chairman <clears throat> we don't meet neely because <laughs> i don't want to hear that crap getting special favors so i drive to winnemucca so well, it, so it's kind you, of in dinner when you start calling meetings in mcgill at that little campfire site, I know where it's at. That's when I know you'll be getting strung up. Second half roll out just ahead. That opportunity for us to talk about keeping the lights on, keeping the water running, paving the roads, getting a sidewalk. All of that's thanks to what? Coal. The reliable source of energy that we have in this country is burning coal. We have 800 years of coal. Coal contributes to environmental health. It contributes to making life easy and more pleasant. And a significant portion of the concrete comes from coal ash. Do you know what life will be like without coal? Let's not find out. The men and women in the coal fields do a tremendous job, not only dedicated to the communities. That's the thing. I've been to these coal mines. They're not mines. They're fields. And they're folks from the community. They've grown up there. They're second, third generation coal miners. Get details about how Lignite continues to keep the water running. Life powered by coal at Lignite.com. Welcome back. We're all out, Trent Loose, on to another week with Hank Vogler. Uh, how did shearing, I know you got one day left, but how's shearing going? Well, pretty good. I mean, considering the year, the the wool's obviously clean. It's been washed every day for about three months. So that part's good. The sheep are a little thin. Uh, it was, it's been just a tough year, but you know, it's no different than when you go out to that corn farm or that soybean field and, and, uh, the wind flattened part of it or part of it frosted or all of those things you could, you know, lay on your stomach and kick and cry and act like a little kid, or you can just keep tucking her in and keep on going. Isn't that the case every day? You can cave and walk away or tuck it in, cowboy up and say, we're going to find a way. Yeah. We can get around this. The hard part is, you know, bankers are like, someone that will loan you their umbrella and then about the time it looks like it's going to rain they want it back so <laughs> uh, you have to like sheep dip used to say look them right in the eye you know tell them a lot i figure it's been too long since we heard some sheep dip stories <laughs> oh my what a guy well, yeah, uh, we had him cleaning pens, and that was about it. He wasn't uh, 
the sharpest knife in the drawer, but he did like to eat. And uh, <laughs> one of the things, I mean, he just looked, he didn't even look like a deer in the headlights. He, he looked like a newborn calf or a newborn <laughs> lamb, just kind of <laughs> glad to be alive on the earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, his name was Sheep Dip, so <laughs> he wouldn't expect. Well, <laughs> when he came into the yard the first time, he had a old Pontiac uh, Grand Prix. And, it, I mean, it was as long as a houseboat. And he had a big old black hat on. You could pitch for a tent. <laughs> Hi, my name's Wendy Ray Fisher. I'm a sheep herder. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Well, we needed somebody to clean pins, so we put him on, and I had him watching a little bunch of sheep, wasn't too many, pretty young, and just like calves or anything, first few times you move them, they all want to run back to where they suck glass, and so we come by the house, went across the culvert on the West Fork, and I said, Wendy, I said, the wives cook breakfast in there for everybody. And if you want to go in and, and have something, I'll watch your sheep and then come back and we'll trade off. Oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. Oh, oh gosh, oh, gosh, oh, yelp, 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 yelp. So about 30 <laughs> minutes later, 45 minutes, here he come back. I went in the house. My wife was so mad. I mean, her feet were not touching the ground. <laughs> she was getting the kids all ready to go to school. And I said, what's the matter? He said, do you know what that SOB did? I said, I, no, I sent him in to have breakfast. Yeah, I had the table set. I was fixing the kid's hair. And he ate everything on the <laughs> table, everybody's <laughs> breakfast. So she's, she's Cheerios and Rice Krispies and the kids so they could get on the school bus. So I... I didn't think I should stick around and have breakfast, so I just left. <laughs> got, got out of the way. <laughs> and I went out, and Sheep Dib said, "My God, your wife's a good cook. Oh my God, that was just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful." I never told him he going to get me killed. <laughs> oh, those are the days. Uh, yeah. Uh, Marty and I were actually <laughs> probably romancing the epilogue yesterday. How much? Uh, Go ahead. Well, Marty and I yesterday were romancing just how grand life would be if we if we were out on the the prairie or the desert, I guess. And uh, we didn't have anything to worry about but our dog, a horse, and our sheep. Just living in sheep camp. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a different world. I mean, if if you and and not so much anymore. They've all got cell phones. They've all got uh, some limited access yeah. to Wi-Fi. And Here's the deal: like that, if I'm going to go live in sheep camp all summer, I am not going to have a smartphone and pay, pay attention to the internet. I'm leaving it. I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to sheep camp. It's going to be me, Claire, and Lady Blue. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's a little bit like in, in the modern times, that would be just a, a Rip Van Winkle move. You know, you wake up uh, 200 years later and the American Revolution's on. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it is. That part of it, that cleansing, that purging of all the crap that's on the news or, or on a 
on, on your cell phone. Yeah, it'd be that part of it is pretty good. So, yeah, <laughs> the epilogue to sheep dip was <laughs> I'd been down here, oh, I guess a year or so. Well, somehow sheep dip had run into the guy, Marvin Lovell, that always sheared for us and asked him if he'd heard from me. And he said, well, yeah, he moved to Nevada. <laughs> and the I was outside working on a truck or so I can't, or I walked around the house. I was going to use the phone. And this used to be a, like a, like a phone booth. You had to let anybody use the phone because it, for, you know, to use it, right. they didn't, couldn't charge your number, but I missed a long ways to everywhere. So anyhow, you never knew who was calling. So I went in to answer the phone and I said, hello. And on the other end is, hello, Mike Roller. Listen, I'll bet you, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I'll bet you'll never, ever, ever <laughs> guess who this is in a, in a hundred years. And I said, sheep dip. And he just walked in, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when did he move down to Nevada that, to start sh- 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 well, he was shepherding living- sheep? <laughs> he had to say everything different. He said, I'm living in Baker City, Oregon, and I've got the diabetes really bad, and I can't hardly get around. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, visit with him a little bit. Well, one of these days, I'll be down to see you. But he never <laughs> did make it, so. Yeah. <laughs> and what year did you move from Oregon to Nevada? Yes, sir. Uh, well, end in 1984, beginning 1985. Kind of a little irony there. We had two big snow years in 82, 83, 83, 84, right in there. And it put a good deal of the country that I had leased uh, underwater. So I was looking for a place to go because it wasn't working. And uh, I went to Idaho to look at some sheep. Uh, to buy, to buy this other man's ranch, uh, who wanted to sell it to me and, uh, wound up, uh, exploring the chances of getting a hold of a ranch here in Ely, Nevada that, uh, ran about 7,000 head of sheep and the price of sheep went up. And when the price of sheep went up, the gentleman that owned them, uh, even though we'd signed contracts and everything in the world to make it legitimate, refused to turn the sheep over to me. So I had put every penny I owned in a account uh, that he was supposed to activate when, when the papers were signed and he would not do it. I moved back to Idaho. I was going to trade cattle with my friend Stenson. And uh, one day I ran into Bill Rosevere on, on the street in Ely. And he told me, he said, he's very sorry that my deal had fallen through. But he had a deal, and he wanted out of it. And I came out here. I had enough money to pay the PCA off, and I paid the PCA off. And September 4th, 1985, I moved into my old tar paper shack and lived in there for 28 years. And yeah. eventually the lease became a a, a purchase, and and then other I picked up other permits. I shod horses i welded corrals i pipe i built houses i did everything in the world to keep all the balls in the air 
or, or I, you're too young to remember the old Ed Sullivan show, I guess. But I've seen clips. there was a guy that used to okay, he used to come on and he'd put a plate on a stick and spin it. Then he'd put another plate on another stick and spin it, and then another and another and another, and then. The one, the first one he put up would start to fall off. He'd go back and spin that one, spin the next one, spin, and he just kept getting more plates on top of these sticks. Well, that's kind of what I had to do. I, I had to keep all those plates spinning. <laughs> oh, yeah, but uh, I got a minute and a half. I'm going to go to break. The 80s in uh, real farm country, because you're not in real farm country, you're in real ranch country. But the 80s in real farm country through PCA was a disaster. Did it have the same situation in ranch country? Oh, yeah. And especially in southeast Oregon. I had a piece of property that uh, was basically in the lake. I had been drowned out, and I owed like $90,000 on it. And I stopped by Redmond, Oregon, at the PCA headquarters and said, you know, I milked them this morning. You can milk them tonight, or, or we can make a deal. And, and they did. They they discounted that note. The PCA out there had got themselves in a lot of trouble. They were building houses. They were sponsoring fishing boats. Got into a lot of stuff because the interest rate was 18%, percent. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you're absolutely. a banker and can get that kind of interest, you're you're jumping all over it. So anyhow. They sold that piece of property to me for twenty five thousand cash, so I made quite a deal. Uh, I suppose it was nineteen eighty one. My first ever loan was with PCA, a thousand dollars to buy two bread gilts. Where wow! Yeah. Now there's an irony. <clears throat> that was what they used to teach in college. So when I got back from college and we will talk career. about you coming back from college on the other side of the break roll right last segment hank vogler just ahead now before we finish up with the last segment today i want to tell you that the demand for beef and known from a known source is not just rhetoric anymore people are asking non-stop where do i get this beef from every local source possible the distrust in the global food conglomerates is growing Certified Piedmontese has been positioned for this from day one, working with Great Plains producers to provide a quality, even a grass-fed, non-GMO variety of beef. That's where we're at. We're sitting in tall cotton. Certified Piedmontese provides a tender beef experience. That's the most important thing. When you purchase this beef, you're going to love it. That's what people tell me. CertifiedPiedmontese.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Grant Lewis alongside Hank Vogler. Uh, put that into context, Hank, in 81. I was born in 66, so I was 15 years old. 81. Ah, I got my first loan when I was 11. Well, so, there's... So it would have been 78. Here. 78. There, there's some parallels here. I uh, uh, had credit most of the stores in Burns, Oregon. <clears throat> when I was... 11 my I, I got my first job when i was 11 and uh bought my first gun when i was 11 <laughs> all the things that put you in jail now and the guy that sold it to me but they always <laughs> yeah, said no to establish credit you need to borrow money 
So when I got back out of college, I borrowed $1,000, mm. bought a saddle. Uh, so what, anyhow, I spent, a, well, the saddle was like 400 bucks. Anderson, Sandy Anderson made it for me. Knew him since I was old enough to wear shoes. Uh, local. He started making saddles in 1929. So anyhow, yeah, kind of a parallel there. My first borrowing a little money. My first loan for a thousand dollars was when I was eleven. My second loan, which was at the bank, not at PCA, was when I was fifteen. And we really made my mom mad because as, at the age of 15, I bought a brand new GMC High Sierra pickup for $11,000. Wow. That was stupid, but dad my went first, along with it. My first pick vehicle was, uh, uh, from my brother-in-law who, uh, he had a 1949, which I thought was cool because that's the same year I was born. Ford coupe. <laughs> bought it he didn't have he couldn't find the key to it and maybe not the title i don't even know i started to drive it home got about halfway home and it caught on fire (laughs) 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 i wasn't gonna set this i wasn't gonna set in it so i just got out of it and walked away you know i didn't the title wasn't in my name nothing you know i was i was about 13 or 14 years old so bye bye. Then I had a 1959 International four wheel drive with the levers on the floor, and boy, now that thing you you could run into a tel- telephone pole with that thing, and it would just shear the telephone pole yeah. off. Wouldn't even <laughs> dent the bumper. <laughs> it, was, it was indestructible. The only thing I always thought that that was their motto was let the doors go first. Because I was in a brand new one one time. wasn't mine. Roy Johnson used to sell them. Uh, well, it's in the Safeway parking lot. It burns now. But that was Johnson's International. And I think he had Cadillac, two or three different flavors in there. But I was in a brand new one, and the doors rattled. So I thought that was International's policy. Let the doors go first. <laughs> and if you, if you drained all the water out of the radiator, you and turned the heater up on high and drove to Chicago. By the time you got to Illinois, there would be enough warmth in the cab to keep you from dying. So (laughs) (laughs) the pickups in those days were were for utility. They were not for, like they are now, palatial. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Pickups today are just glorified cars. They're not really pickups. Yeah. No, then they should make a ranch pickup. If you're listening out there, make a ranch pickup. You know, when dust gets on all those electronic switches, mm. then all of a sudden you've got a vehicle that does not run right and nobody knows how to mechanic on them. They got to plug them into the computer. I told you about the, uh, the guy at the Ford store calling up my pickup a hundred and some air miles away, probably 150 air miles away. Talked to my pickup and told told the uh, the dealer what was wrong with it. I couldn't believe it. Yes, sir. <laughs> so I guess they can track you wherever uh, you're at. No, all those bells no, and no, 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 no. That's incorrect. Back to my original premise and my discussion with Marty. If you're living in a sheep camp with your horse and your <laughs> dog and sheep and no phone, 
they cannot track you. Well, maybe you should probably talk to the dog and look at his collar really close. But <laughs> <laughs> you can't maybe he hire might me. Be working for you already walked down this path that you know, if I could just really put you in a fix, I could apply for a job at your place and you'd be in trouble. You're supposed to have 30 days of experience. I think you'd <laughs> flunk on that. <laughs> I've got 30 days experience in tending to livestock. I'm taking care of a million head of livestock in my lifetime. Okay, but how many? A few sheep. Okay, but get your bedroll. We're getting, we're starting. In fact, we've had, we had three sets of twins yesterday. And the, would these be the genetic? Are these embryo lambs? Yeah. Well, they're, yeah, they're, they're the AI sheep. Yeah. They started lambing. Pretty, pretty good deal. We got, we got them sheared four days ago. So that was lucky. But yeah, they started lambing and, and it uh, had three sets of twins. So I've had uh, a, a like number I told of the boys, I said, I've had a number of cattlemen tell me they're hiring a higher. I'm I'm bringing my cows home today because we're going to start calving May one, and I have a a large number of cattlemen telling me they're having a higher percentage of twins than previous years. Huh. Well, that maybe the uh, they're going to need them because I bet you they got some cows that their calves didn't survive. Yeah, that's a true story. It's going to be a brutal year when it's all said and done on what calf losses were this spring. And you guys are still in the drought, extreme drought too, aren't you? Or is we that, are. that south of you? No, no, yeah. I'm right on the I'm right on the edge of it. Central Nebraska is in the drought area, but if you want to talk about drought, where I was last week, Oberlin, Kansas, Norton, Kansas, and then you go south into wheat country. Folks in wheat country are telling me they're already taking claims on their wheat and it's going to be a, a no-go. Wow. wow. It's, it's severe through the center of Great Plains of America. They I'm, finally I'm got bad, us Hank, out of, but I'm not severe. They they finally took our area out of the the extreme drought. In fact, but the, but the, here's the deal. Was that the first time since 1985 you've been time, out of extreme and, drought? Uh, no, we've had, we've had a wet year too, 2005, 2015, there's pretty good snow, but the ground had moisture in it. And this time that snow fell on dust there mm-hmm. and it never froze where the snow was never disturbed. That water went into the ground. There's hardly a puddle anywhere. The water just like overnight just disappeared and went into the ground, which is great, but it is very dry. And, the, and with, the cold nights, uh, the grass is having a little trouble getting started. So, uh, in a way, we're not out of the drought. We're a heck of a lot better off than we were. And I guess no farmer is really satisfied with what's going on. But it's just different. I mean, uh, two weeks ago, I'd have bet you we would not be able to shear here at the house. The snow drifts are so big. Now, every day, there's a, a, a rat couldn't get a drink of water around one of those snow piles. It's just going right into the ground. And the creeks are not running, nothing. So hey, we had uh, two, it, we're, we're 100%. we had two 20 plus inch snows 
and and we didn't lack for snow in the winter, but it was already frozen. I mean, we, well, I didn't measure it, but I'm guessing we had two and a half, three foot of frost at one point in time. And so when we had a massive snow melt, it just left. I mean, it just created new, new little ditches and just left. Nothing went down. Well, that's just the opposite here. Like I say, it just snowed on dust and dirt that had been dry for three or four years. So, I mean, it just sucked it up like a sponge. So, yeah, that's wonderful. That's you know, outstanding. There's, yeah, there's a few places that, you know, cut a, it was warm enough, quick enough, and long enough that it, it cut out a road here and there and yawn. I'm not saying it was perfect, but around here, it just went whoom, into the ground. I mean, just. The what did uh, H. Ross Perot that large sucking sound about the jobs going to Mexico? Well, he yeah. might have been out in White Pine County, and it was the water going into the ground. So, you know, we've had to right here above the house. We've had to uh, dig a trench to keep from washing out the county road, and, and this year the water hasn't even made it to the county road yet. Mm. So. Well, in no way, shape, or form is this going to work out well for me because I'm sitting here in um, the building across from our house, and I just saw a horse walk between this building and my house. Was he looking for a job? Uh, that you know, that for replace a Clydesdale or something? Uh, you know, he might be listening to the show. I don't know what he's doing, but I do know he needs an appointment this week with the veterinarian because <laughs> he needs to become an it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, I'm going to call PETA. They'll be at your house by daylight. I call him Baxter. I named him the day that we <laughs> lost Baxter Black, and he's a young he's, – he's coming three this year. But <clears throat> when um, when Kelly's – Kind of okay with the horses, but when they start walking around in the yard, something uh, something's flying pretty good around my house. When I started in the sheep business, one of the first things I had to do was put a fence around the flower bed in the yard. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the issue was, but, but it seemed like now, do it now. Funny so, thing is, yes, that's when the goats left our place is when the flowers would never <laughs> remain intact. And still to this day, my we haven't had goats for 10 years, and my shelter belt on the north side of my house is nude to bottom six feet. <laughs> yep, you got it. In fact, they use them for juniper control out in this country, I guess. Yeah, they, and, they were and great I guess they, They'll go uh, right up the tree and clean them off. That'll do it. We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Next time a tank is with me, we'll be together in White Pine County, Nevada. For Hank Woodbury, I'm Trent Loose. Both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a rural route with horses running loose in your yard. <laughs> now let's talk about the Wall of Honor. Continuing to say thank you to those individuals close to home who do the veterinary. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Where did that come from? They're not, well, you could thank the veterinarians, not lacking an appreciation for veterinarians, but I'm talking about vets, first responders, and uh, active duty who continue to trudge through the trenches for my and your freedom. Our freedom opportunity 
They paved the way. It's up to us to be a diligent citizen of our county and maintain this freedom for the next generation. TheWallOfHonor.org to get full details. See you tomorrow.